0: Hello and welcome to the very shut up and sit down episode of the shut up and sit down podcast. Today, myself Matthew Lee's and Thomas himself, Thomas,
1: Thomas Brewster. Thomas Brewster. I'm like a Pokemon. I say my I just say my name and that's it. Yeah, Thomas Brewster. Yeah, Thomas Brewster. Well, there's no need to be rude about it. I
0: think you evolve into Tom Brutoto. <laughs> Tom Brutoto. Uh, uh, and I'm going to say that the then Tom Brutoto evolves into Tom Brewster uh, with like eight R's. Yeah, that. Is now canon in Pokemon plastic and Pokemon... Cement? uh, Acrylic. Yeah, plastic and cement are good for the kind of like, you know, pearl, red, blue. Pokemon plastic, Pokemon cement. We joke, but in about 10 years, that will be what we're on to. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about some board games. Some board games that we played recently at the UK Games Games Expo. We're going to be talking about Planet Unknown, a game of exploring a planet that's uh, with little tetrominoes and moving tiny plastic rovers around whilst numbers go up on charts of cubes. And Big Boss, a Funko recreation of a classic sort of mean game about businesses and share prices. Finally, we'll have a little chat about The Lord of the Rings. War of the Ring card game that we reviewed in video form on the website very recently, but we know that some of you don't watch videos, and that's fine. That's so okay. We'll just talk about it very briefly, so you can get a little bit of a taste and you, go.
1: Ah, just I do little, love those Pod Boys in my ears. Just a little bit of hold on, Pod Boys is taken. I'm afraid, Matt. There's another podcast that uses Pod Boys already the uh, the board game Barrage So Very what? Wrong About Games Coalition have got pod boys down as you a phrase. You phrase. own pod boys. They call each other pod the pod own. boys and they sound really cool.
0: First up, Planet Unknown. What is this planet? I, I, IDK. IDK. IDK and also IDC. Now this is a game where basically every player gets a big mat in front of them that's a big cardboard planet and on that cardboard planet guess what you've got? Loads of square spaces. A grid. A grid, as it's known. And you're going to be taking tetromino shapes that have different kinds of terrains on them, and you're going to be placing them onto this grid, filling up this unknown planet with things that are now known. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's going to be some red bits of the planet, or some yellow bits of the planet, or some blue bits of the planet, otherwise known as water. Mm. Now, on your turn, Everybody is going to be taking a Tetromino from this marvellous, and yet frankly over-the-top, spinning Spacey Susan. It's a lazy (laughs) Susan, but I'm calling it a Spacey Susan, because why wouldn't you? And this is quite a nice mechanic in the fact that it means that each turn, one player gets to choose to spin the Spacey Susan and choose from any of the little segments of this circular, rotating, plastic monstrosity, and then all the other players just have a little triangle, effectively, so everyone gets a kind of Wheel of Fortune effect of like, okay, well, wherever you choose, I'm then going to choose this one, this Mm -hmm. shape here. So everybody gets to play something every turn, which means the game whips along at quite a nice rate, and it's impossible to ever feel bored. And this is very much one of those games of just having a nice time doing a thing, right? I think... We were talking about Dice Forge, I think just in person, not on a podcast, the shame of it. Mm. And you described it as just being a nice kind of more of an activity, a nice activity to do rather than a game. And I found that to be very true when I played it myself. I thought, yeah, I don't know if I like this as a game, but it's a very pleasant thing to sit and do. And I got immediately a very similar vibe with Planet Unknown of just being like, I'm constantly getting to put little shapes down next to each other and building up little contingent addition spaces and unlocking bonuses and you have these wonderful little tracks for each of the different types of terrains every time you put one down each little tetromino has two different types of terrain and then you allow yourself to move up two spaces on these different tracks you've got these little colorful cubes that represent the different colors of terrain and each of these tracks is going to unlock you different bonuses you're going to get scores you're going to be able to take scoring cards You're going to get points.
1: You're going to get to drive a tiny little rover
0: around your board. Exactly. Yeah. And let's face it, everything else is a bit boring. But that's (laughs) fine because you've got to get to drive a little tiny rover around. You do. You get two little rovers that you can deploy as you move up the little red track. And these rovers can just drive around your little grid collecting resources like fallen meteorites that you're going to have to place on the board and just sort of crash down also collecting little life pods i think or something yeah
1: were they i think they were life pods i think they were life pods let's call them life pods yeah i felt like
0: we were doing a good thing though
1: there was something kind of like quite sad about the fact that what you could do is you could put a tile over the top of a life pod thus presumably crushing it and killing the person inside but the person teaching the game sort of shied away from that as a as a direct interpretation of what was going on there well i mean that makes sense
0: because It doesn't really make sense, the idea that when you discover, because I wasn't, I was maybe we were terraforming, but it felt to me like we were just discovering this planet yeah. the whole point of a planet unknown. Right, like, oh, right. But unfortunately, because we now have discovered this part of the planet, everyone who was there is dead. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really understand that. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. Because no. effectively, you've got a big plastic thing you spin around, you get to place little tiles on your thing, you get to do point combos, you've got little objectives that you're going for, and it has that lovely thing that I really enjoy of each player shares an objective with a player to their left and to their right. So you do have that incentive to look at the boards and be like, how are they getting on with their thing? Mm. How am I getting on? And yeah, you're moving little plastic rovers around. You're collecting meteorites. You're building up contiguous spaces. You're trying to achieve lots of different mini objectives, some of which have shared, some of which are personal. And I had a really, really lovely time playing this game at the expo i i loved moving the little colorful transparent cubes up on the tracks i love that every now and then you got to have that little like poppy combo thing that you get in things like um uh ganshon clever of of being oh i get to move up this track which lets me move up any of the tracks by one which lets me do that again and getting these lovely combos of being able to have a turn where you just loads of things happen all at once it was really delightful. There was tons of different cards in terms of the uh, the objectives, both in terms of the, the sort of special tech objectives that are related to one track and the secret objectives. And I think there were lots of different boards for like lots of different maps for different yeah, planet shapes and I think so. si- not shapes, I don't think, but you know designs. There's <laughs> a flat one. However, there's <laughs> a cube one. However, yeah, right. However, 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 this game's like seventy pounds, seventy of your English pounds. Yes.
1: And did you like this game, Tom? Did you enjoy yeah, playing no, this, game? I, I, I enjoyed it plenty in, in to the same degree as you. I found it like it, every single thing in this game is like very pleasing. It's like they took yes. the two genres of pleasing game, Numbers Go Up and Tetris games, and they smushed them together mm-hmm. and they made it like as easy as possible to get into because there's a lazy Susan in the middle, which is a ridiculous, decadent object that I do kind of love. Um I feel similarly to you, though I think with your big, however, which is that like I don't know if it's seventy quid good because it doesn't have a sort of a friction or zest or spice to it that necessarily makes me want to come back and play it again. Past it just being pleasing, it's pleasing, but it's there, yeah, th- pleasing th- this once. is it. There
0: are there there are clearly a number of ways that they've tried to uh, augment the game with longevity, right? right? In terms of being like, okay, well, there's all these different. Potential things that be slightly different, but I don't feel like any of those things, even combined, would really change the nature of the game enough to make you feel like, yeah, this is the thing I could buy and keep playing again and again and again for that price. Which is kind of unfair. It's this weird thing of like, what are we, what are we judging price on, right? I think sometimes I think about it, and it's like, if a game is very complex or very meaty, then that's fine. But if a game is something simple and light and fun that I might arguably might get out and play more often. I'm still not willing to pay that larger price tag. And I think that's an interesting conversation, right? But the bottom line is, the psychology of it is, I look at this and go, ooh, no, I don't think I'd ever pay £70 for this experience, even though I've really enjoyed it and had a really nice time.
1: I feel like there's something to be said that if you were to defend the game, there's a sort of like an ease and a universality of it that you can put it on the table with kind of whoever and they'll get it and they'll enjoy it and they'll find it satisfying that would justify it being like expensive because you could get it out a lot and you could play it with basically anyone because it's so simple and pleasing. And on top of that, I will say that the game, like, so in terms of big games that have numbers going up all the time, I played a game recently called Earth. We'll probably talk about it again on a Shut Up and Sit Down podcast soon, um, which is this big board game, kind of like Wingspan, where you're building like a tableau Mm. that's also like an engine that you're kind of crunching out points with and that was one of those like very like parallel play sit and do your own thing kind of games except the difference between that and planet unknown i find is that like Earth had so much going on in its engine building. You had so many things to consider, so many factors to scan through, so much information to pass that you very rarely got time to breathe and just like chat to the people around the table. Whereas with Planet Unknown, one person can be stuck in a little personal Tetris hell puzzle and everyone else could not be. And I find that kind of a good thing because it lets the rest of the table kind of like sit and chat and kind of talk to each other in a way that those kinds of games those little puzzly parallel play solo kind of experiences are best at doing
0: yeah i think you're right and i think that that's an issue we've had when you play most kind of crunchy games whenever we find that the sweet spot with these things is often like a great kind of crunchy puzzly game is usually very good at three Yes. And usually excellent, but a bitier at two. Yeah, And arguably you can play with four, but the issue with four is you don't get to have that bitey decision space. When it's just a two-player game and someone goes, I'm sorry, I just need a minute to think, it's like, that's fine, take your time. <laughs> like, you know, it's I'm enjoying this head-to-head. Like you're playing chess sort of thing. But with four players, if everyone's like, I'm sorry, I just need to crunch on this for a minute, <laughs> a game can last forever. Uh-huh. And so there is that impetus to be like, look, I'm sorry, but just make a decision. Just go with your gut. Like, because, you know, this is... I, if you only get to take a go once every 10 minutes, then, yeah, that's when people start going onto their phones and I get it. At the same time, yeah, I think in this, like, people were occasionally being like, oh, I'm sorry, I've just got to think about this. But because you were getting to do a thing every single turn, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was fine. It yeah. was just like, yeah, relax. And I think it's funny that that kind of headspace for talking, I, I was th- talking about this the other day about video games and we played a lot of video games over lockdown and co-op and and um, there were certain games like Destiny or Warframe, which were kind of so mindless that you can just let conversations take the forefront in a way and the game is in the background and occasionally you will talk about the game, but mostly you do just do it. Whilst other games we played were more intense and actually you realise those were not serving the purpose that right. we needed, right? right? We needed a space to socialise and actually we were just meeting up to then have an intense experience with each other without actually being able to have any kind of connection. Um, and that's not to say those experiences are bad, but that space is... Is an interesting one so the breeziness of this was super and i mm-hmm. must say that the plastic spacey susan yes did have the added value of the fact that that was kind of how the game was stored as well All yeah. these little pieces went into individual s- slots that fit those shapes so it meant that setting up the game was as simple as taking the lid off it and going and also putting it away You know, there was none of that friction in terms of the Baron Park thing of, oh gosh, I've got to organize all of these shapes of cardboard before I can even start, which was nice. But I must say, and we tend not to get into this, like, you know, talking about how the games were made and backseat kind of developing. And because we don't work in that field, we don't work in that world. And it's disrespectful for us to be like, I think the game got made like this. And that's why. But there was a degree here of, uh, I've bought 3000 candles somebody help me manage my budget you know of 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 this 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 plastic thing being like quite cool clearly bumping the cost of the game up substantially yes but it wasn't cool enough that it really felt like that was worth it and it did feel like they maybe got themselves into a pickle with having multiple different um like planets you could play on which meant that you had to have like, you know, four duplicates of each of those things. And I did feel like the actual playmats, the thing you're actually putting things onto, felt a little flimsy and cheap. It was kind of a thin card stock and it's it's tough, right, with this sort of thing. It it felt like they maybe, for whatever reason, had found themselves getting into a situation whereby like if you're gonna spend that kind of money, right? I don't mind spending that kind of money on something that's light and chunky, but everything needs to feel like luxurious you know everything needs to feel like ooh, this is solid like this is going to last me for years where i feel like the spacey susan will you know probably outlive me um but the the playboards especially at my kind of tables where if you want to have a drink and food that's fine uh they were one minor spillage away from a genuine uh earth planet destroying disaster
1: I, I do think that, um, you know, you, you sort of palmed off the Spacey Susan there as being something that maybe isn't, you know, like that exciting to to the average consumer, to the average board game player. But at breakfast at the hotel in the morning before people arrived, I heard someone like from across the restaurant talking to their friend. They went, and it's got a lazy Susan. And so I think that it has captured the minds of, of board gamers everywhere in the sense that just in the wild, in public, I heard someone excitedly talking about Spacey me Susan. Don't get i love a lazy susan and I, I really love
0: a spacey susan but if we're thinking about this tom from a purely ecological perspective yes how many games with lazy susans do i need i already have like eight lazy susans in my board game collection just at this point like don't ship games with baggies and dice and lazy susans just accept that everyone already has, has a, lazy a collection susan of lazy susans yeah and, and, like, you know, I'll just get my own Lazy Susan out of my Lazy Susan cupboard. No, it's, it's, it's really neat. It's a really fun thing. And I, I did have a lot of love for it. I do remember then just the next morning, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And within about five minutes, I'd redesigned the game to work in exactly the same way, but without the Lazy Susan. <laughs> um, and that did make me think, yeah, I don't know. I, it just feels like a shame because I, I know that consumers love things. That's that's consu- you know, yeah, things yeah. <laughs> are the very are the very foundation of consumerism. However, I felt like this was a shame because, to the designer's credit, I felt that the game was better than the gimmick, and I liked the Lazy Susan. But I was like, this is actually a really solid, fun little game. Yes, it's a shame it's so expensive because if it was in the same arena as like Baron Park, it would be very easy to be like, this is great. Like, but actually, it kind of felt like a it was doing itself a disservice. I felt in the fact that you think, okay this doesn't add as much to the experience as it could and it does ramp up the cost and i think the game was really solid without it i mean also it would be quite easy to make it a roll and write that's also true that's very true. it was a a flip and a flip and fill if Mm -hmm, you will mm -hmm. um so it is interesting to be like okay you can strip this entire game down from all of these quite slightly over the top components into. A black and white pad of paper and some pencils and maybe a small deck of cards right and I think that if you're gonna be uh, very ridiculous but also deeply serious about it that is true for a huge number of board games and uh, one of the things we're really interested in um, with what we do is is understanding the textural changes right and the way that like yes but your use of color your use of components affects the feeling of the game and it is an important part of the experience Um, and so I think I think that I wouldn't I'd like say this should have been a roll and right, it should have been simple, but I do feel like the excitement of the Lazy Susan. It's it's another victim of the enticement of the lazy Susan, like pulling <laughs> pulling the ships to the rocks, you know? So the many siren song. so many major board gamers. Yeah. So many board game developers have been destroyed
1: by the uh the call of the lazy the Susan. The call of Susan. Um, yeah. No, I see it. I see it. Matt, let me tell you all about Big Boss. You know all about Big Boss because we've played Big Boss. It was another game that we played at the convention, the UK Games Expo 2023. I can't believe they've done more than 2,000 of these. <laughs> that's that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's so good. I also put it in the newsletter. Uh, Big Boss is a game... Uh, made by Funko Games. Well, it's been reissued by Funko Games, purveyors of huge amounts of plastic tap that's eventually going to find its way into the landfill. Hey, Tom, that's what?
0: not true. It's not plastic tap that's going to eventually find its way into a landfill. It's plastic tap that's eventually going to break down and find its way into our bodies, <laughs> um, because that's the new fun science. Look, we're just gonna—I'm just gonna chuck this one out here first. Like, Funko are a terrible company. Um, I'm just gonna, you know, put this out as a caveat, um, and people may enjoy the toys. People may enjoy Funko Bops. I think they're pretty ghastly and horrible things. If you like them, that's fine. That's cool. Everyone's allowed to like things and have their own taste. Good for you. But as a company, I think they're pretty despicable. Um, they've recently destroyed incredible quantities of stock as a tax write-off, and I do think that there's just no excuse for be for, for creating massive quantities of plastic toys, uh, really overegging your market and then destroying them um it's just it's just incredibly wasteful it's incredibly damaging and it's properly capitalism at its absolute worst i think funko are a terrible company i really hate them they make industrial scale tat yeah they do and actually at this point they they create and destroy industrial <laughs> scale tanks, and that is just terrifying and uh, everything that is currently wrong with the system and the world that we live in i just wanted to caveat that because then we're going to talk about a game made by that company and i quite like this game but i felt like it was important <laughs> for balance to say hey
1: specifically i hate this company yes Would i will... you like to explain the game tom yeah sure yeah with, with with that as an intro i can get right into it i do feel like as well that caveat does spill a little bit into big boss which does have a pretty plastic heavy production that i am not a fan of uh, i think this game is is full of uh quite nasty plastic that is Kind of serves no purpose and could have been done with cool wood. But anyway, let's actually talk about the game here because the game is interesting. It's designed by Wolfgang Kramer. It's actually a game from 1994. That is an old game uh, and it's been remade anew by Funko Games. So in this game, uh, each player is playing as a sort of investor, property developer, some kind of unnamed businessman. Uh, And what you're doing is you are building up a sort of weird landscape of buildings. The board that you've got in front of you has this sort of like snaky track that's going around it that goes from one all the way up to like 70 something. That's all the different spaces. And on those spaces, you're going to build buildings by playing cards. You start with a big hand of cards and each card corresponds to a space on that track you might play number four and if there's nothing in the number four space congratulations you've just started a company you'll take a bunch of these big nasty plastic blocks and you'll build a little tower out of them a tower that kind of spills out into the two spaces next to it so let's say you built on three you'd put two blocks on number three one block on number two and a block on number four if you wanted to sort of spill out and make this little kind of building shape then what's going to happen is you're going to bump up the company's stock based on what you've just created. So you, for every level of piece you put into a company, you bump its stock up by that value. You've just placed a tower of three towers of one, boom, boom, boom. So you go up by three. And because you put a second one on top of that original one, you've got another tower of two, boom, boom. That's a total of five value for that company. And you're going to make some money because of that. You're going to take some money from the bank, five whole money, put it in your personal wallet. Then what's going to happen is other players on their turns are going to start building up more companies around the board, stacking up blocks, adding to additional companies, making them stronger and their share price worth more. You're going to be buying shares in that company. They're going to be worth the size of that company at the end of the game and so on and so forth until you've got quite a bustling landscape of all these big blocks. But then at some point, Matt, Two companies, I don't know why I'm explaining this to you, you know how it works already, but two companies are going to merge. They're going to kiss. Two companies are going to
0: kiss. They're going to meet, they're going to kiss, and they're going to have a baby company. When two companies love each Uh, other
1: very much, they actually combine into a bigger company. Uh, It's quite scary, really. When two companies smooch, one company, the bigger one, will absorb the smaller one. The smaller one, everyone who owns shares in that company sells them at the price that company is, and the bigger company will gain value equal to the size of the smaller company. So this is very reminiscent of a game we played at PAX Unplugged that I don't actually know if we talked about on a podcast called Shark, um, Mm. where you have Mm. this sort of grid of buildings that kind of slowly merge each other. And it's kind of this Physical tactile simulation of companies smashing up against each other and absorbing all of their assets. What did we think of Big Boss? I think you liked it a lot more than I did. I think
0: Big Boss was really interesting because we played it at a point in the convention where everyone's batteries were quite low. Mm -hmm. And I've discovered, I've realized in recent years, based on the number of games I win when we're playing games at conventions, (laughs) that I am very bad at reading manuals. I'm not always very good at teaching games. Sometimes I am, but mostly I'm not. However, what I am really good at is learning games, people explaining games to me. I learn them immediately and I understand them immediately when somebody teaches a game to me verbally. And I'm also very good at learning them within stressful environments when I'm tired. So I had a strange time with this game, right? Because I was like, I think this game is pretty interesting. I think it's pretty good. But nobody else had really and I'd say this without any meanness. No one else <laughs> had seemed to understand the shape of the game yes, in the way that I had. I agree. And so it was like I was playing a different game and everyone else was like, yeah, this is fine. And I was like, no, I think this is interesting. But then obviously it got to a point where we didn't even finish the game because what's the point? If you've been playing two thirds of the game and only one player has actually been playing the game? Yes. Then, you know, uh, you're just treating the other players like easy AIs who have to just sit there for an hour while you have an interesting time and they're just bored. So...
1: I think that was an issue with our play of it. I think I started to click into what the game was, but only in the last like fifteen minutes of us playing it. And then it's true that then if you're at that point, you you go like, "Oh, I kind of get it now." Let's just yeah. we, sh- well, we so should have restarted and played again, but then like we didn't have time to do that. No, and so exactly, we just, and we just stopped.
0: And I th- so I think it was really interesting in the fact that it was a game of ostensibly stocks and shares, but really. Not. there were so many limitations on on what you could do that it very much was just an abstract puzzle game mm. in a way like you know you, you, you would buy stocks. you could buy stocks each round, but you could only ever buy two stocks which meant you couldn't just have a round where you just made tons of money and then just bought up loads of stocks. It was always a case of trying to maintain this cash flow that you had enough money to be playing the cards you wanted to play, to be expanding companies, or you know improving the, the holdings of companies you already had stock in, but you also wanted to keep that money to be buying up stock and trying to manipulate it in a way that meant you were going to get money from it. Maybe at the end of the game, it will help you win points, but maybe just at opportune times realizing that a company was probably going to merge soon and actually going, you know what? I could do with some cash flow right now. So I'm going to get some stock in that company, knowing that, hey, even if it just gets bumped up by another point or two in the next round, that's still going to be a short-term profit, which I can take advantage of. And Mm -hmm. in that regard, it did feel like an interesting kind of like stocks and shares game. But it very much didn't have that, that, you know, stabilizers coming off the bike feel. It did feel very much like, controlled and it felt very old-fashioned this was actually a retweaked version of the original game it did have rules in the manual of how you could play the you know the the original version Mm -hmm, of the game mm -hmm. but wolfgang kramer had come back and and tweaked it a little bit and retooled it and i liked it but it did feel very old-fashioned yes um realizing that you know you on your turn you can either play a card from hand or buy a card from the shop and that is quite an interesting thing in 2023 to have a thing where, like, if all you, if you want to buy a card from the current selection or buy one of the special cards that can raise up uh, buildings below the third level and make them really super big, then you 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 had to you know you had to take an entire turn just mm. to do that,
1: and that didn't feel great, right? Yes, yeah, especially. There was- there was something really strange about the fact that you could either buy a card or you could play the game, it felt like, in the sense that one yeah, of the exactly. actions, like placing the block, felt like so much happened on those turns. But buying a card always felt like, I have now got a card, and it, or you'll have to spend money to do it. And it felt like a very strange... Yeah. It felt like a, a bad thing to be doing when really what you will realise, yes. or what I was realising at the end of the game, was how crucial that action is to building up your late game. Yes, exactly. And that's it. It felt like you were skipping a turn, especially
0: because... Um, you know at the end of each turn you could buy shares but only if you were placing if you were playing a card so if you were buying something from the shop you weren't allowed to buy shares yeah which meant early in the game it was a strange thing of going well I do want to snaffle up these cards but that costs me the money I need to be playing cards and also it means I can't be buying shares so you were getting and the thing is at first I was like oh I don't know how I feel about that but then when I realized the shape of it I felt like we were playing this with four players, which did not help, and everyone was quite tired, which did not help. I feel like I want to play it again with three, uh, with people a little bit more peppy and awake, because I feel yes. like actually the fact that you just do one thing might mean that actually it goes quite quickly. And that interesting decision space of... It didn't feel like a decision. And this was the issue I was having, is everyone was sort of acting like there wasn't really a choice. Mm. But I'd seen the way the game was going. Yes. Ozymandias style. Yep. And I was like, well... Actually, no, like either you are buying up stocks, which means you are more likely to be benefiting from any sales or growths. However, if you weren't doing that and instead you are buying up the cards, you had more control over the actual shape of the game. Yes, Which I thought was a really interesting like middle ground of like, to what extent are you willing to take the the gamble of just going with the flow and seeing what shakes out and seeing how well you can do it versus... How much of your time and resources are you willing to spend to literally control the future? Because the crucial thing is that all of these spaces around this sort of like... It could effectively... It was a sort of snaking trail, but it could have just been a um, line, a circle. It could have just been a square. <laughs> yes. It could have been the edge of a board. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the original game it was. It was just like around the edge of the board. But there was only one card for each of those spaces, which meant it did have that lovely... Um, Oh, what's the flipping cards with the trees? It's the name of a place where trees are. Arboretum? Arboretum. Arboretum, (laughs) yeah. Arboretum had that lovely thing of people trying to build up a point scoring thing and then you just sitting on a card and knowing that they can't finish it because you have the card that they need. And that was very true here in terms of going, okay, well, those two companies are both very large. They might murder at some point. Except, no, they can't merger because I have the card that lets me connect them. Yes. And having that power was really interesting because it wasn't like an arboretum of going, well, ha 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 ha, ha you can never do this. Because it was this kind of collective economy. It was just constantly deciding whether or not you wanted to do that or yeah, when you wanted yeah. to do it and how you could benefit from it. And the really interesting thing, which I grokked early on and really was like, oh, this is evil, is the way that you keep raising the stock prices of these companies which is going to increase the scores at the end of the game however the maximum that any stock for a company could have was 50. and in our game we didn't finish it but i was coming pretty close to having a company that had a share price of about 40. and i had another company that i was building that up and to be honest i was more than likely going to get both of those company shares to 50 and i had the majority of the shares for both of those companies But the thing is, like when they merged, you can't go above 50. Yeah. So if you do get them both to 50 before they merge, that's fine because you get paid out for the stocks and you get 50 per stock and that's huge. Fine. But if you don't, then you could end up in a scenario whereby you have two very big companies and then they get merged together and you kind of make what feels like a loss. Now, Mm. I've just realizing this saying out loud, maybe mathematically you aren't making a loss. You get paid for it. Uh, so I don't understand maths. So maybe this isn't interesting. I've completely lost faith in my own <laughs> argument. Um, well, that, that, but it felt bad. Well, it that, fe- it, the idea of being like, well, I've now got one company that's worth 50 rather than two that's worth 50. That feels bad.
1: And maybe it isn't bad mathematically. It's so it's, I don't know. That's that's peak greed, isn't it? Really being like, I, I've got a company that's worth yeah. 50, but I want to <laughs> No, I think <laughs> Yeah, right. And I'm realizing, I'm realizing that the idea of that felt so bad that I was like, "Hmm,
0: that's mean." Somebody could do that to you and screw you over. But now I'm like, well, no, you get paid for the stairs. So well, I think this I... is literally Succession. This is the ending of Succession. It's like, <laughs> well, we've lost. It's like, well, I don't know if you did lose. Actually,
1: you got paid quite a lot of. You everyone got money, so I don't know if anyone loses. <laughs> I, I think like being confused about how that sort of those numbers kind of like shake out in this game is pretty emblematic of my experience playing it as a whole. Which is like, it is an incredibly simple design, but also it is quite obtuse. And where your focus is will shift over the course of a game, at least as I found, where you know, what you think the game is kind of changes. It starts off as being a game of just building up a really big company and making loads of money. And then it becomes a kind of quite toothy little card game about withholding information from people and like using your information to get one up on someone in in these filthy business deals. Like the idea that someone could not know that 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 card is never going to come up so that they can't merge their big company with your small one means you can comfortably make your small one bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then eventually turn it around and eat them instead. And there's something kind of toothy about that. But I think a lot of those decisions come out quite glacially. Not to say that's a bad thing. It's just that it's a very like because you are only doing one very simple thing on your turn each turn, the strategy of the game kind of evolves really slowly rather than jumping out at you in the early few turns. I think so. And I think that the shape of it is interesting. This idea of like, yeah,
0: maybe uh, some players will not spend any turns buying cards from the market and then they'll get to a point in the game where they just don't have any cards in hand. And then while everyone else is still playing stuff to the board, they're in a position where they're kind of locked out and having to kind of like... Um, take turns where they can't do anything um, mm. which is interesting but again I think crucially my feelings on this game were I quite liked it I want to play it again because I think it could be really interesting but I do feel like it is it's interesting that it's a really it feels like a very old design sure. it's quite dated now yes. in terms of the fact that it's like this is interesting it's got a fun shape to it I can see why people love this and I'm I'm sure there'll be some people who'll be delighted to know that it's back in print but yeah the pacing of it it did feel like the modern sensibility the pop the pop the pop, the zow of you get to do a fun thing every turn it's like in this you don't like and, and it yes. did feel like we played for quite a while and we're maybe halfway through the game and i yeah i i do agree that even with fewer players and people being more zappy and more awake the shape of it is interesting but it takes a very long time to to find its shape and yeah. it's it's really interesting to me that actually this is a game that's published by Funko Games, where clearly the people who work for the Funko Games division are people who love board games and want to make good games. And the fact that they've got this out of print, beloved, classic, quite like traditional game, and have brought it back with a nice, you know, lick of paint, and uh, admittedly, probably too much plastic. You're not too wrong. <laughs> Although I would say if you had wooden towers everywhere and you knocked the table. That's game over, isn't it? So there, there was some logistical reasons for the mean clicky things. I would agree with that. But fundamentally, it's it's an odd matchup yes for Funko games of having like all of these like plastic heavy miniature games that are kind of fine, and then having this like beloved, quite dry, puzzly, economic uh card game. But yeah, I mean, I think I liked it more than anyone else, but I do still think that there's not it it had the look of a modern game, but it, it felt quite old pretty and pretty crusty. Way that sometimes I feel I really like. Sometimes that oldness is exciting. I definitely feel there's a nostalgia uh for certain eras of especially kind of card games or Euro games, of simplicity and crunchiness and plainness. But I, I think that perhaps this has just been superseded by different things. And even in the older realm, you mentioned Shark earlier, which I don't think we talked about. Shark had a lot in common with it on paper, but whereas this was quite calculated and slow, Shark was just fast and silly. Yes, you know, yes. On paper, they were very similar games, but in this game, uh-huh, this round you don't really get to have a turn because you've not been clever enough and calculated enough <laughs> time, whereas in Shark it's... I roll the dice. What does this mean? Oh, that means you don't get to have a go. Right, my turn. I roll the dice. What does this mean? It's like, oh, that means that before you take your turn, you take forty thousand dollars, like you take forty million dollars, and then you take, then you get to do something. You know, it was, it was just unbelievably unfair uh, in a way which was was truly delightful. And I think in terms of looking back at old designs that maybe don't hold up, I. I have a lot more love for that side of things. The wild, sure. and silly, and what is this? Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it and thought it was worth a mention. So here we are
1: doing so on the podcast. That brings us to the end of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. But before we go, we just want to quickly talk about Matt's review of the War of the Ring, the board game, the card game edition. I don't know what it's called. War of the Ring, the card game? Is that what it's called? That and no, you got it right the first time. I got it right. It's right Lord the of the first Rings, time. the
0: War of the Ring, the, the the board game, the card game, the card game edition two. This is a a lovely little box. However, as I forgot to mention in the review, the box is still way bigger than it needs to be. I think <laughs> I'm going to be doing a Tom Brewster style choppy chop with this and converting it into something that is. Absolutely tiny because not only is the box comically large, it's comically large in a way that it has little sections for all the different decks. And every time I put it in the box and open up the box, all of the cards are everywhere. It's just chaos. Um, what if they do an expansion, work. though, it's Matt, not a what, if they, what if they do an expansion? Huh? Doesn't matter. I'll put, it in bag. I'll put it in a baggie and squeeze it into the <laughs> next door on the shelf. In a Tesco carrier squeeze bag. it in there. <laughs> exactly right. All of my games are going to be in Tesco carrier bags by twenty twenty four. It's the Matley's promise. I really like this game. I played this with Tom um, for the first time and Tom was a bit like, which is fair enough because we played it um, with just two players where you smash up these four decks into two decks and you have the evil deck and the good deck. And I think that that doesn't really um, illustrate the shape of the game in a way that I discovered when I played it co-op with 2v2 or three players or two players playing two hands individually and keeping the decks separate Mm. as God intended. Uh, that's when the game started to to really shine. Yeah. Effectively, what you've got is, if you know about War of the Ring, then fine. If you don't, you can go and watch our video on it. It's a great big war game to do with Lord of the Rings. This tries to condense that experience down into a very small collection of cards. And it does so by kind of vaguely having two paths that you're fighting over as teams each round. You've got the little hobbit path, where the hobbit and friends are going off to try and drop... Uh, some jewelry into a big hot bin and then you've got the the battlegrounds where armies are fighting things and it has some fun flavor in the fact that um you know you have the ability to shift the the, the path it's called of uh cards randomly so it might be that like oh we're here but then actually no if someone plays a card and it means that this this path number four path is actually this location which does add to that feeling of like the hobbits aren't here they've tricked us and then also (laughs) you have rounds where like there's a fight it's a small fight and then there's a fight and then there's another fight and there's another fight and you might have like three or four battles happening at the same time so it does manage to have like quite an interesting shape to it there's more texture to it than than you might expect and it can do some interesting wild things but not very often and i kind of like that it's not like this is a game where crazy things can happen. It's a thing where crazy things can happen, but they're unlikely to. But that makes it feel more special when they do.
1: I'm, I'm a certified Lord of the Rings hater, and yet I found the game like when we played it i wasn't entirely sure of the game of it because again this is something that's kind of common when you don't quite see the shape of a game until the end i feel like i wasn't quite understanding like what that game was until the end when the cycling mechanic really starts kicking in and you start seeing those same cards again in a very fun way that's uh yeah a great little part of that game but i did really feel like i was getting drawn into something of a narrative while playing it in my own sort of personal deck and in the way that mechanic works that cycling mechanic works with your deck as well where you see the same cards yeah. lots of times they are continually a thorn in your side uh, in a way that's really quite funny yes. um i think this game does a really good job of like being thematic not just in it's hey these are cards that you know these are characters that you know they have things on them that are you know Quote unquote themey, but actually being thematic in terms of like the drama of it, the mechanics kind of like yes. providing a narrative and a story as you play it, which I found really, really charming. I think it's actually one of the
0: strongest games I've played in terms of having a thematic mechanics. Yes. Of having, like, you know, actually telling the stories with the the rules of the game. Yes. With the, the actual kind of, like, the actions of the cards. Like, for example, like, when I really saw the shape of the game playing it 2v2 is when you go, okay, well, look, you're not all of the baddies. Maybe you are just the Nazgul and, like, the, the you know, the servants of the Shadow. And with that deck, you could do all sorts of things. But really... You know, you're mainly just like harassing hobbits and turning up with horrible (laughs) armor-clad generals every now and then. But it meant that the shape of that was fascinating because it meant that, you know, you had a whole round of the game, round four. Most of your cards are useless because it's like that's the part of the story where they've gone through the mountains. And the Nazgul, for whatever reason, thematically, cannot get to them, as we all know, from watching the films or the books. (laughs) And that was really fun to have it being like a co-op game where you go, you know what, this round... I can't really do anything like it's a whole round of the game where like doesn't matter what cards i got in hand maybe i can do something but i'm mostly useless now like and i really enjoyed that of having like the ebb and flow of having it being like this round this specific bad player gets to take to gets to draw like extra cards and having bits of the game where people feel particularly weak or particularly powerful and it allows for that kind of back and forth with an ally to go like what could you could you help much this round like can you do anything here um And also, yeah, the way that you do have this technique of every time you play a card, you have to cycle a card, which is effectively putting it into your temporary bin. When you get through all your cards, you then shuffle that deck and start drawing up again. So it did have, as you say, that mechanic of going, well, this card is not useful till the end of the game, or I feel like maybe I want this later. So just purposefully putting it in the bin and then trying to like accelerate to get that back at the right time, having that that racing curve of trying to make sure you, you end up Getting the cards back at a time you need them was awesome. And I did love the way that the Nazgul cards all had this thing where rather than playing them to actual locations, you could just put them in reserve, which meant Mm. they're kind of lingering at the edge. Yes. And then at any point as a turn, you can move them from reserve to a location for free. But you can also, with the Nazgul, they all have unique abilities. That means you can cycle them and do something else, like get an extra bonus for, And there's lots of different flavors of Nazgul. It'll do slightly different things, which is neat. (laughs) But it meant that for the Hobbits, they were going on a little walk and I could just have all these Nazgul just sort of like floating on their peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. And with the other player not knowing whether or not they were going to swoop in and actually attack them or just disappear, but to be coming back again. But the threat is there. right? The threat is there. Meanwhile, I bloody hated the fact that the hobbits wouldn't die. They just kept coming back. It's like, I killed that boy. Why are they back again? Um, yeah, I, I think it's really strong. It's obviously not going to replace a gigantic war game that takes hours to set up and is like an event thing. Uh, but I thought it was a really uh, fun co-op card game. and it's, We don't get many co-op team games like you know 2v2 that are really asymmetrical and also great often it doesn't really work and I thought it was really faithful to the the source material and really did a lot to conjure up a lot of the same emotions as the uh the big big full fat war game the big you can check out the video review I talk about that and other things for about 20 minutes but uh yeah if you just like cards and podcasts
1: and dwarves then check it out Cards and podcasts and dwarves. Oh my, was there a podcast in the in the War of the Ring, the card game? This is a podcast. Oh, I thought you were saying that you should check out the video if you wanted a, a bit where like a Hobbit does a podcast, because that's what it sounded like.
0: No, I was saying, I was saying like, you can watch the video, but maybe you just like oh. podcasts. Oh, so, you know,
1: so this is a podcast, right? We're doing one of those right now. now. We're doing one of those now. Wait, but we're finishing one now, aren't we? Oh, Oh, we're still in it now. Okay. Memories last forever.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Town podcast. It's soon going to be over, Tom, so just enjoy it while it's here. Please, no.